Welcome to the pod, everyone. A shout out to SGS. Hey, Rusty, why are we uh, partnering with SGS? Uh, uh, some, some, some good people there. Pretty excited about their sports coaching courses and sports courses. Keen to make them industry ready so when people leave, they're able to go and transfer it to any kind of industries, coaching, teaching, being an analyst, business, whatever it might be. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty exciting times, really. So what's so special about their degree courses that others won't be doing? I think it'll be lots of uh, real good partnerships, uh, opportunities for people to, to get into different contexts and learn and practice. It'll be feel very applied. People will be stretched and supported and will leave you know, ready to just go and thrive in the uh, big old world out there. SGS College is the home of Bristol's higher education sports programmes. The programmes are designed to develop unique, innovative and creative sports practitioners ready for industry. Do you want to be a coach or teacher of the future? Start your journey here at SGS College and become more than just a graduate. Visit sgscol.ac.uk to apply now. Okay. Ed Hall, finally on the podcast. Exciting times. How are you, mate? All right? Yes, at 8 out of 10. Eight, that's solid. I did ask you why eight. What would make it nine? Well, the, the uncertainty of what this podcast is going to be like, resolving that afterwards, I suppose, will be that'll take it to a nine. And then <laughs> or seven. it's Friday, so the end of today, we're pizzaing tonight. Oh. Homemade pizza, so that'll probably take it to a ten. There'll definitely be a glass of wine or, or a glass of Prosecco or something. That's probably that's going to tip the balance. Nice. And you actually, you look like a man who would drink Prosecco. So I'm enjoying your shirt and the hair stuff. Um, mate, awesome to have you on. Uh, well, t- t- tell me the story. How did we get here today? How have we got to a situation where I'm sat in my living room, you're sat in the longest room I've ever seen. <laughs> and we're we're going to talk about tangerines and elastic bands. Well, I'm, I'm conscious, first of all, that this is probably the first time that we've video chatted where you've been wearing a top. I just did a Glenn Delaney podcast in a dressing gown with a showing a bit of chest. Well, I think the first time we Skyped was you were on holiday and you were shirtless. <laughs> Second time we Skyped or FaceTimed, I think you were in the bath, which <laughs> definitely tested the boundaries of where I felt our relationship was at at that time. But, um, I dropped my computer in the bath last Friday, so uh, baths and work are no longer compatible. <laughs> um, how have we got here? Uh, well, I, I'm 34 now. I think I started coaching when I was 17, 18. So I was at 17 years, 16 years, something like that. Um, coached rugby in lots of different environments and got challenged a lot by my experiences of coaching in those environments. And I was lucky to have people around me who would ask me, well, especially my dad would ask me, well, what are you going to do about that? Or... Uh, he would ask me some good questions that would help me to think about what I was going to do about it. So, Give me an example. <clears throat> uh, well, do you want to hear a story about him? I always want to hear stories. All it, right, so all my biases. This is my story about my, my favourite story about my dad. So um, my dad is, was a farmer, uh, left school when he was young to take over the farm, didn't finish any of his exams or anything like that. Best educator I've ever met, by the way. Phenomenal educator. So I was desperate to learn to drive. Loved, loved the idea of driving. And luckily, we were on a farm, so we had a lot of private land that I could put around in cars and pickups and combines and all that kind of stuff. So 
one day parked our old e-registered estate Mazda with no power steering in the middle of a field. And he said, if you want to learn to drive, you've got to drive the car to the gate safely. You're not allowed to crash into anything. Um, if you stall it, you've got to go back to the beginning, start again. If you reverse it into one of the holes, and there were lots of holes in the field that we all knew about, you've got to get it out. You've got to take it back to the middle, switch the engine off, handbrake on, start the engine, try again. And your only constraint is, apart from those things, you're not allowed to drive forwards. So my first ever driving lesson was with him sat in the passenger seat and me learning to drive the car backwards to get the car to the gate. And it took me hours, hours and hours and hours. And he never once offered me any suggestion about how I might do it differently or what I could do to correct the mistake I was doing. He would, he would just ask me some questions or and he just sat and read his paper whilst I carried on. Very relaxed, your dad. Well, the, the first driving lesson we then had out on the road, he sat and read his paper whilst I drove in order to convince me, I suspect, that he was confident that I could drive, which did give me a lot of confidence to drive safely. Uh, most important question, uh, how many years no claims bonus have you currently got? Uh, however long I've been driving. Oh, right. Strong. Strong evidence. Let's call it evidence. That, mm. uh, I'd question it's, yeah, some, definitely some, some insight. Some information. Some information. Nice, and so, so so that's how it started out, and then so uh, did, did you uh, did you coach Fletcher? You were coached by Fletcher. Fletcher yeah, he, he coached me. I was a very mediocre rugby player in the B team of his. I don't think he'd probably call it the B team now, but he called it the Bears or something then. Right. And then the county side that he coached when I was about sixteen, seventeen, and and what uh, are your memories of John Fletcher? Uh, I remember respecting him a, a lot which was tied probably to his, his playing experiences. And, and I heard a lot of things from people that adults that were around me about him being a good coach. Um, I can't actually remember much about his coaching. I remember more about his coach education that I then attended sort of a couple of years further down the line when I started to try and learn a bit more about coaching in the role that he had as a development officer and then as an academy coach. I remember him joining in with stuff with us as a player. Um, and I, I felt like that built a good connection, showed me some things that I didn't see from the players that I was playing with, which was quite useful. Yeah, um, back himself to still be the best player of touch. Uh, yeah, he was, he, I definitely remember him being competitive. I don't remember being on a team that he wasn't on that that, uh, that lost. So, so he, he always ensured that his team would win, I would imagine. He'd be, uh, good, he'd be good on awareness and decision-making, poor on physical prep. <laughs> That would be my, uh, he, he did have a big impact on me because as a coach, I was coaching a, an under-15 boys county side. I was involved in coaching. I wasn't in charge, but I remember having a conversation with him. He was watching the game with his kids were down there. and I, was, I think we got to the last minute of the game and we had an opportunity to kick a penalty to win the match. And they ran it and I said to him, oh, yeah, I think we need to... The boys need to learn how to win games, you know, see out games, winning's a habit and all of this kind of rhetoric and stuff that I'd heard from other people that I didn't really understand but wanted to regurgitate just to impress this other coach. And he just said, just let them play. They're going to learn more from, from tapping it and having a go rather than kicking three points and winning the game 
and it, and it just made me think I've got a lot to learn about this coaching game this this thing that we're trying to do and there's a guy there that's that's done all this stuff and who I respect and he's saying I'd maybe do things a bit differently and I would maybe question these assumptions that you have about your coaching practice definitely influenced me to go and find out more and was probably one of the biggest um, influences for me to then start university degrees and I've done a few of them now in, in sport and coaching to, to try and test and challenge what I thought I wasn't probably getting out of the coach education experiences that I had when I was developing as a coach then. Cool. I'm desperate to get to the end. My biases are around. I want to know what all the lessons are. Maybe we'll unfurl them throughout and I'll keep a record of them. So, that right. I can um, so what next? So you're starting to coach. Um, <clears throat> clearly, impact of a couple of important people around you and, 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 and then what? Where does it go from there? Uh, I just coached as many teams as I could, as many different people as I could. It was all rugby, really, but I just kept saying yes. So I got a lot of opportunities, I think, from putting myself in a lot of um, positions to get opportunities and coached pretty much everyone in the women's pathway up to national level and then had a few opportunities in the men's game and, and junior boys game as well. So I did some university boys coaching and university women's coaching, coaching the women's premiership for three seasons. Um, and and then I got an opportunity to, uh, after I've done my, uh, a master's degree, to uh, go to Edinburgh and, and do my PhD and was fortunate to work with one of the national teams uh, whilst I was up there as part of that um, PhD process. And that's where I really started to not just see the connection, but try and develop the connection and value the connection more between research and practice. Um, and I used, I think I, I certainly saw in my experiences over those three or four years, not just in the environment that I was working in, but in other coaching environments, that there were coaches who I thought could gain a lot from having a more research-aware understanding of their practice. And what do you think the limiting factors are? Why, why do you think that coaches don't do that? I think it's not front and centre in, in coach education. So I think the time between research being published, it being well understood by the people who design and then deliver coach education, and it being embedded into those courses in a way that makes sense to people who are going to then enact that stuff on the ground takes a long time so I think I was doing my master's degree I was learning from from a really really great researcher great teacher as well at Loughborough about the complexities of coaching practice and the first day of my level three course I got told it was coaching is as simple as plan do review I was like it's definitely not as simple as that that might be a part of it don't get me wrong there's definitely some planning there's definitely some doing and I, I definitely advocate some reviewing of that but there's a bit more to it than that. And there was this big, in my head, there was a big disconnect between what research knew about coaching practice and what practitioners were able to know because of what they were being um, told as within their coach education experiences. And was, uh, uh, was Learning Styles on that uh, slide deck as well? 
I've never really thought of it as, as as there is a time lag, isn't there, before um, it gets um, known about, then ad- then tried out, then adopted, and then it becomes normal. And by which time, you know, life moves on, I guess. And there's other stuff as well at play because you take a con- an idea like learning styles, and learning styles is it, it's a nice idea because it provides a very simple explanation of something that can be done by coaches that promises a lot of outcome. The reality though is obviously very different to that. And the evidence which tells us that learning styles don't exist in the way that people often interpret them to exist uh, and can't uh, inform coaching practice in the way that often people take it to inform coaching practice. The, the, the gap between those things requires everybody to engage with the complexity of the findings of the of the good research that's been done and, the, and most of the good research that's been done about coaching highlights the fact that it is fundamentally social and extremely complex but not necessarily complicated activity and and that's hard for people to get their heads around because a lot of people that are doing coach education are doing it as volunteers and you know you don't give a somebody on a first aid course Gray's anatomy and tell them how to do surgery on people. You give them some good basic understanding of, of principles. And, and I, I, so my, my feeling is that we just probably draw attention to, to principles that, that should be better in, in early coach education, I think, with a different, slightly different focus. And that would enhance a lot of the coaching that's been done. Give me three or four principles that you would love to see more widely uh, recognized and um, adopted? I think coaching is fundamentally about influencing people. So, and and not just coaching, coach development, being a coach developer, being you, you're trying to influence people, being, being a lecturer at university that I'm trying to influence people. And all of those, that, that influence is, is achieved through social relationships. So we have an interaction with, with someone and we're connected to those people and other people that they're connected to and how we're viewed, just like the examples that we talked about with Fletch, influences the degree to which we'll be influenced by them. It shapes it. Um, and, that, and, and that, I've never talked about that on a coach education course. I've never seen anybody talk about the skills of influencing, the ability to read the influence that other people are trying to impart on us, um, the the micropolitics, if you like, of of life within um, within organisations. So things like hierarchy, things like job titles, even you know how we uh, greet people, um, how we you know whether we say please or thank you. So. I definitely worked with some people that didn't say please or thank you. And I wasn't that, uh, yeah, I was, they would have struggled to influence me. Yeah. And, and it's not just things like, like the stuff you've talked about, which is all fundamentally around power, basically. There's all concerned with power, but it's also about pedagogy. I think we spend so much time in coach education, I think talking about what people should be coaching as opposed to how they could coach. And the relationship, I think, between how we interact with each other as a, as a sociologist, but also how those interactions are related to good principles of teaching and learning 
in terms of pedagogy. Those two things for me should be fundamental to coach education. And, and I'm not sure that they get the time and space that they really deserve within current coach education. Uh, give me some more principles. Of, that's one around, it's fundamentally a social, social. Yeah, so it's, it's fundamentally about enacted or done through social interaction, but it's also fundamentally concerned with learning. So we're trying to influence people in the way that they learn and develop. And that occurs irrespective of whether you're coaching somebody who's never played the game before or whether you're coaching somebody who's the world's best player. They're not going to be the world's best player for long if they don't continue learning and developing. Yeah. So I, I see big distinctions. And this, this is one of the things that I think coaching's just got to get rid of is this either or perspective. There's a versus mentality within coach development, which... I don't think it does anybody any favours because it suggests that there are two options and there's, that all the grey space that exists within that continuum is ignored. Let's call and it colourful. Let's call it colourful space. Okay, like the giraffe that's behind you currently on the wall or whatever that, that painting is. Um, very nice. So, yeah, I think it's, it's about recognising that, that learning is fundamentally what we're trying to trying to achieve learning and development and that that it can be oriented towards a range of different outcomes so it's it's not just about learning good skills it's about learning good leadership good followership good uh, social interaction good confidence good fulfillment you know a range of different things that that coaching has the potential to achieve but which are often treated in isolation and never occur in isolation so that those would be principles that I would pursue within coaching development would be sociological understanding of interaction, pedagogical understanding of teaching and learning. Give me some, uh, give me some recommendations of resources or books that people can look at. Cause I agree with you. Interestingly, it's something that uh, probably two years ago, someone said to me, if you, um, if you use the word learning in front of a director of rugby, he'd roll his eyes at you. And uh, I think that's changing. So I do think that we're much more, much more people are talking about learning and, and definitely they weren't before. Well, I, I, I disagree with that. It's just that they, they think of learning in one way. I think what you, what those directors of rugby that you're alluding to would be asking for is for their players to learn, to do the things that they want them to do the way they want them to do it. So there's still a process of learning happening. It's just that it's maybe not the sort of learning that we would try and advocate um, for people to be, more capable of directing their own learning, making more choices, um, being critically and, and judiciously able to, to choose good things um, in terms of all sorts of options, options on the pitch, options off the pitch, options in relationships and so on. You know, there's, there's all sorts of choices to be made. And I think, I think that's where, where we could make huge strides is just to engage people with the complexity of coaching and to say it's okay that it's complex and that we can chip away at, at learning about that stuff. So, um, yeah, I think it's actually fear of the word and actually, well, what it means and how, you know, how, how much more stuff am I going to have to go and learn? Cause I think that's the, once you start to peel back the layers as, as you're starting to do now, there'll be lots of people going, Oh my God, wow, I didn't think it was all of this stuff. I mean, one thing Suzanne Brown said to me, you know, with a, 
we're the architects of each other's brains, especially when you're dealing with young people, is quite a big responsibility. It's a little bit scary as well when you start to think of it like that, that it's not just, it's clearly beyond sport as well. So I'm sure you've worked with coaches and had coaches that are, had impact on you beyond sport. And you're definitely working with some coaches at, at Falcons that are having impact on young people beyond sport. Um, what, so given that, so the, this, you know, let's talk about social, let's talk about learning. Actually, what are the things that where you see that people are struggling with this connection between research and practice? So give me some, I almost want to say common errors. What's the type of things you see that you think, okay, that, that, could, be, that could be better really simply? I think where it starts from fundamentally is that people are often looking and that this builds on the point that you've just made for a, a straightforward magic bullet answer. So they're, they're hoping to get a recipe or some kind of a prescription. And if, if I give the players this blue pill, they're suddenly all going to do this outcome. And the reality of, of human life, of the way that we interact, is it's just not that straightforward. Brexit, Donald Trump. I mean, but it, and you can read this into absolutely everything. So life is just not that straightforward. And because of that, because people are looking for those answers, when they see something neatly packaged, which makes sense on the face of it, they then become very defensive about that being the right answer. Because it might have worked for them with two people, or it might have helped influence something that's worked for a couple of situations and and those the times that that work that that stuff works might not have anything to do with the actual the theory that's that's behind it or the evidence that sits behind it it might be something completely different but they attribute great value to it and it creates this polarization of ideas so games versus drills i'd love to see somebody that can conclusively prove to me that games are better than drills because they aren't good games are good games bad games are bad games got to design great games for them to be great learning experiences and we can design some really good drills in the inverted commas yeah. that, that can be great learning experiences as well and, 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 and even to the extent that when you say the word drill i might be thinking something completely different to you precisely and and, and one of the problems that occurs in this is it starts to stigmatize ways of coaching so i'm hearing coaches now under the new contemporary approach to coaching philosophy which has been you know, pushed a lot and, and you guys have, have, I suppose, influenced some people's thinking around different ways of coaching. But, but now people are saying to me, well, I can't step in here because, you know, I, I'm standing back. I'm, I'm being a hands-off coach and I'm thinking, well, I think you could have some more impact here if you were to step in. There's some coaching opportunities that you're missing. And, and, and it's because people are so wedded to one end of the spectrum or the other that they that they experience this stigma and then they, they defend that position as if it's the only right way to do it. So we need to go back, I think, pedagogically to some good principles of teaching and learning, developing people who can be fantastic at instruction, feedback, questioning, silent observation, designing fantastic activities in which learning can occur with the support of a coach. I hear so much stuff now about um, about the coach becoming redundant. I think, well, 
what are you trying to do? Do us all out of a job? Like coaches are great and coaches can have a phenomenal impact on people's learning and development. And, and it all comes from well-intentioned beliefs that, that the idea that we might want the, the players to have more responsibility and we might want the players to make more decisions. But that doesn't mean we become redundant. It just means we need to practice in different ways and that we need to adapt the good principles of instruction, feedback, questioning, silence, and so on, and activity design, in order to facilitate those, that progress and that development. Yeah, and coming from a coach who's been made redundant, um, <laughs> <laughs> I did it, I achieved it, I got made redundant. Um, and, 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 I, and I agree with you that the, I think the intention when people use that phrase is actually I want players to take more responsibility for their own learning. And clearly, I think we would all want that. However, there may be some times where we, we definitely need the scaffold and support, sometimes nudge and people. Um, so give me some examples. So I, I actually, I think this is interesting because lots of people would, um, would do exactly what you say. They would take, I'll take this end of the spectrum, I'll take this end. Actually, how... How, how have you noticed people? So clearly you do a lot of work with Aidan and Jimmy at the Falcons and I know they're killing it. Well, give me some ways that you've noticed that they blend those, you know, how are they in the colourful areas? So I think the things that I'm observing in really good coaching environments are they have a clear set of beliefs about the sort of ways in which they're trying to influence people and that that would help set up a way that they're going to coach. So they would design activities that would have an emphasis or a, a focus. And, and frequently that focus would be towards the end of the spectrum where athletes are challenged to solve problems, interact with each other in order to, to go about solving those problems, uh, recognize opportunities to deploy different skills, um, explore the boundaries and the limits of those skills in order to find new ways of solving those problems generally their practice would be at that end of the spectrum but within those practices because they're very very good at noticing the experiences that athletes are having within those situations they're able to move between and along this spectrum of ideas about how athletes can be supported so that might be that an athlete needs a conversation where the athlete decides upon a goal that they're going to work towards within the confines of the the purpose of that activity and that that goal is going to help direct their attention because maybe they need some focus around that area and another player needs to be asked a question but they're not going to provide the answer because they're going to go and find an answer in the game and then there's another player who who actually has just made seven attempts to solve that problem and done them all wrong or got or made no progress in developing their understanding of that problem and actually they're good at recognizing when maybe it's fine to just tell them <laughs> you might want to try this. This could be a way that this would help solve that problem for you. And then they might pick up afterwards and use an alternative approach, like a question to say, well, what was your experience when it went well? How does that connect to your previous experiences? What, what might you take from that experience that would help you to make better decisions in the future? And again, this is a problem that behaviors coaching behaviors coaching practices are often treated in isolation so they'll somebody will be watching a practice and they'll go oh that i even heard uh fletch i think mentioned it on a oh let's get him in trouble what's he done wrong on a on a uh it was a podcast or was it oh it was when you were at, at um the sevens 
and you were talking to, to somebody and, and they asked you a question and he said, oh, that's not an open question or something like that. Well, in that situation, that, that might have been a perfectly legitimate question to ask because under the time pressure or within the context of the activity, we might want to ask a recall question. Or we might want to ask a question that um, has limited numbers of options because that player has previously had a million options to try and find an op- a, a way forward with and has, has had no success. And so actually for the, for the benefits of maintaining their motivation within that session or to give them a sense of competence, we might actually provide a bit more information. And then once they've got to that stage, we might then change our behavior. We might try and stretch them again by asking them a question or giving them a challenge. And, and it's, the, it's these relationships between practice and between practice and the environments that we're influencing as coaches that, that coaches should be more aware of, that we can't treat behavior in isolation, um, that the learning is not exclusively in the game. I hear, I hear that rhetoric quite a bit as well. There's definitely some learning in the activities that we design, some potential for learning, but, but we've got to help people to access it. And that help might be standing back with some players. It might be feeding them some questions to, to narrow their focus. It might be giving them a prompt. It might be um, physically showing them, putting their body in a position that might, might support them to understand something. These are all legitimate ways of coaching and it's, it's, it's getting coaches to understand that there isn't, there is no one right way to coach, but neither does that mean that every way of coaching is the best way to coach. So can I explain to you what I've heard? Go ahead. Go ahead. What I think I've heard, and Fletch would say, let's replay that conversation, is that um, some of the coaches you are hanging out with are trying to set problems for people to solve, both individually and collectively through often an activity that looks like the game. Yeah, representative, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to take out all the long words. <laughs> in, 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 in many instances, um, a well-designed game or practice would, would help support lots of learning. However, you just can't rely upon that. And the reality is the, the most skillful coaches would have developed a, a nice little toolbox and, so that their craft of coaching would allow them to be problem solvers as well. So that might be that you set an individual challenge for a player. You might set a challenge for a couple of players because actually the two of them might benefit from working together to help solve a problem. You might ask someone a question. It might be a question that you just want an answer to to see if they can recall some facts or something. It might be a bit broader and it may not require an answer, in which case I'd love you to go and show me. Because ultimately, you want them to do it on the pitch rather than just answer a question. I think if over time as a coach you start to see a theme, um, uh, and my preferences, I tend to, my bias, sorry, would be that I would look for the good ones. However, if you start to see that someone can't pass off their left hand, then there's definitely nothing wrong with perhaps pulling that person out, instructing, demonstrating, putting them into a small goldfish bowl activity where they get some repetition of doing that activity all of that would be coaching by the way it's all about transfers actually let's challenge ourselves on did it you know did did it transfer to the game uh what i'm also sensing is there's certainly from when i was coached and i'm certainly feeling this now there's there's more uh, emphasis on the individual than there ever has been 
Yeah, absolutely. And and that, I mean, I would take issue with the word toolbox. That would be a little bit of rhetoric because because yeah, toolbox yeah. to me conjures up the idea that you've got a set of a very solid spanners that you can apply to a set oh, size. You don't know what's in my toolbox. Well, I think I think what we need to have is people who recognise that a lot of coaching is in the adaptation. You know, There's an elastic band in my toolbox. That would probably be useful. Yeah. There's but, a there's a satsuma. <laughs> Are we heading towards conversations about that, are we? No, there's a, uh, there's a set of earplugs. Um, there's a pair of boxing gloves. Uh, there's a odd-shaped ball. Uh, <laughs> and there's a set of spectacles in my imaginary toolbox. But I, I'd get that as well. There, it's not the hammer or the chisel, is it? It's Maybe there's a... And it's not that you can pull out the, the boxing gloves and the goggles or, or, and that that will fit with every athlete or every interaction because our, our desire to influence people isn't confined just to the athletes. It's to the parents, it's to the assistant coaches, it's to the, the head coach, it's to the, the director of rugby, it's to the people behind the bar in the clubhouse. We're, we're, we're in relation with all of those people and they're all influencing the way in which we can carry out our work as coaches. And so the, those things that you might consider to be part of your toolbox will have to be adapted and differentiated to, to the different interactions that you have with those people. We can't just have a, a set of, you know, three and five eighths spanners that we hope will fit with every nut that we come across as a player. We have to be able to adapt what we've done with player X in order for that to work best with player Y. And that's going to take some experimentation and some reflection and and um and some conversations with that player to, to and this is one of the things that i think i'm seeing more and more from from some really good coaches is that they're now asking the players how was it when this happened when i said this what did that mean to you they're recognizing that the experiences that people have of social interaction aren't always the same as the intentions that we have when we interact so i might say something to you you, you know and, and you, you kind of pick me out about it i said oh, i would wouldn't necessarily say toolbox and then you were able to well actually this is what i mean by it well so so the the back and forth that we have is always moving towards a better understanding of each other it's never a definitive solution and and this is why we need to be much more critically self-aware and capable coaches to be able to take account of that complexity so let's uh, pick up on something i've now changed my toolbox it's just full of elastic bands <laughs> varieties of thicknesses uh um, <laughs> um because i actually think of it like i was thinking about so a replay might be something that people use quite a lot so let's replay that situation well actually so am i using a replay to stretch them to support them in which how would i do that are they calling the replay? Am I calling the replay? Who owns the replay? When? Is it after a one go? Is it after a number of, of goes to see if they, it's, yeah, that's the, I guess that's the decision making. And I think, as you said, we, I, I see it as almost like an infinite game. We never get there, but by trying stuff and probably what I want to talk about now is and reflecting either in the moment, actually, I noticed that I did that and this led to this or 
actually in the moment with the, you know, well, how did that feel? What was the impact of that? Or post-session, you know, as in some of the questions you were talking about around how, you know, what was what was your experience of that? Um, that becomes a very critical part of coaching, I guess. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely is. And I think it's a skill reflection that people are just assumed to have. I've been on, been on loads of coach education courses and seminars and things where they go, right, we're, we're going to reflect now. Well, I want you to go away and do some reflection. I thought, well, how do you want me to do that? That's a, that's a pretty challenging skill. That's some of the best people that I know would find and I would find reflection really hard. Um, and, and I wrote a paper about my experiences of reflection as part of my, um, as part of the level three, actually, that I was asked to reflect, but I was given no support about how to do it. Um, and it was just assumed that we can all think about stuff, capture our experiences and other people's experiences of our interactions with them and do something useful with that. And actually what I show in this paper and what I try to communicate is reflection can be as damaging as it can be beneficial. Um, we have to, if we're going to do reflection properly, we're exposing ourselves personally and emotionally to the very serious limitations that we might have as, as people. And we need to think carefully as coach developers and as coaches who might be supporting athletes reflections about how we support that activity, about how we help people reflect well and in ways that are valued and purposeful and meaningful to them and add value to their, to their practice. Um, but which engage beyond the surface level, which is where most people tend to reflect. So the, the car journey on the way home from the session is where most coaches do their reflection. Typically that reflection in my experience is based upon how the cones were set out, how busy the players were, the nature of the activity that went on, what it looked and felt like, as opposed to the things that they did and the influence that that had on others, um, the, the opportunities that they might've missed, um, how they might do things differently the next time. That, that would be a big shift I think for coaching as a whole would be for coaches to pay attention to how they are coaching um, in, in real depth. Cool. And, and we're going to lead on to your work in that area because actually you beat me to the, that was exactly what I was thinking. Often when you ask, you know, when people are reflecting, they're reflecting on the, the people they're coaching and, and their activity and the what, as opposed to maybe some of the, the how skills that they, uh, that they tried. And then often the people that are really good at actually looking at themselves are often focusing on the negative stuff. So often their first instinct is, oh, I would have done this differently. I would have done, no, no, no. What's, you know, what's the stuff that's, that's lighting it up? Tell me about it. Because we want to make you even better at that. Reflection's a skill. It's, it's, it's not something that's inbuilt into us. We're, we are, as human beings, learning all the time because we're interacting with things all the time. Um, when we try and make that purposeful through the act of, of reflection, that, doing that well and that thing being beneficial for us, not just in terms of our practice, but in terms of our emotional sense of well-being as coaches, in terms of our confidence as coaches and so on, that's a, a challenging skill to get right. And again, it's something that probably I didn't encounter in coach education until probably the level three. Um, bear in mind, this was like 12 years ago or whatever, but 
things might be quite different now, but, um, you know, the first day on my master's degree, I think it was one of the first things we talked about. You know, I, I, I think that that says a lot perhaps about what, what skills are, are being valued and what that, how that might support coaches as, as a whole. Um, I'm going to go on to your stuff with Aidan and Jimmy. What I want to go is, so imagine, I want you to imagine you were designing entry-level coaching qualification day one. Uh, You're only allowed to have, you're only allowed to cover three topics. What are the three topics? Uh, Coaching practices, which would, which would encompass, so let's break that down. Activity design. Yep. Coach behavior, yep. social interaction. And inherent in the way that we would deliver all three of those would be reflection. So there's, there's four things because you, you, can't, you can't do well in any of those things without being good at reflection, I would suspect. Cool. I'm excited. I'm coming on your course. Um, so t- let's bring some of this stuff to life. So you, I mean, um, I love the, I mean, often use your slide with Jimmy with uh, coaching behaviours just to ask people, you know, what do they notice? What are they curious about? What, what excites them? What are they, you know, what are they confused about? Do you want to kind of talk through the, the stuff you've been doing with the guys up at the Falklands Academy? Yeah, I've been working with them for two or three seasons now. And um, it's a, just a fantastic academy environment because it's full of really good people um and my work with them came really from the the phd work that i'd done um which had all been about trying to understand the complexity better so using different methods to try and understand the complexity of coaching and what seemed to happen as part of that work was that the that it actually the the methods that i was using seemed to have a positive impact on the coach they were beneficial to them so um, I took that to the to the RFU and they pointed me towards Jimmy and Aiden and uh, the Falcons and Marco and Lawrence is there and Jack and, and Beef and there's a whole host of people that, that are working in that environment that are really open to doing coaching differently and to thinking in more critical and deep ways about their practice and to exploring the relationship between research and practice. So some of the things that I've done with them have all been, I suppose, pointed in the direction of enhancing their self-awareness of how they coach and of the influence of that coaching practice. Um, and I suppose I've flipped coach education because you tend to go on coach education, so you leave behind your normal environment, you go into a classroom or onto a pitch with people that probably don't look like the players that you're going to work with um, in your own environment. You do a day's worth of learning and then you go away again, having been certificated to say that you are now a competent coach. And actually, how much of the stuff that's discussed and learned in that environment connects with the realities, the problems and issues that we face as coaches in the real world is questionable, I would say. So we try to make what we talk about and how the process works as a coach development initiative, if you like, to be about the issues and problems that they face in their environment. And we do that by firstly understanding what their intentions are. So how they arrived at where they're at and what their experience has been as, as people and now as coaches. Um, 
what what do they intend their coaching to do where does that intention come from so a lot, a lot of background work on that and then a, a lot of very in-depth observations of what they do and continued i suppose gathering of insights about why they're doing it like that so tell me about in-depth observations what do you mean by that i mean if and, and let's imagine let's talk about what you did and let's talk about what it would be if you didn't have what you have if so you have we um we've we videoed them so we mic them up videoed them i'm on pitch with them so i'm actually not just in their environment i'm literally by their side in that environment um and we use those different forms of data to stimulate them to reflect on their practice. So because we've got video evidence of what they do, rather than saying to them, oh, think about that situation that happened, you know, 48 minutes ago at the end of the session. Think about that situation 48 minutes ago. What, what was going on there? Well, you know, you, you're busy. You're under a high cognitive load as a coach anyway, so you're pretty busy just getting on with the act of coaching. Being aware of every single thing that's going on and how it might have influenced people is, is pretty challenging. So we can then use the video to say, well, actually, this is what you did. Talk me through. What do you remember thinking about at the time? Recall for me the, the process that you went through in deciding to do that action or not do that action then. And I think that really helped to draw attention to some of the things that um, that were not vastly different, but there was a difference between perhaps the, the intention and the reality of what was then being done. Um, and then... Example is that something you're thinking of there? So, I, I'm, rather than giving an example about Jimmy and Aiden, but I would I've heard a lot of coaches say I'm a questioning coach. I ask a lot of questions, and then we can show them the video and say, well, actually, here's here's 15 minutes of footage. You've not asked any questions. Yeah. So you, I would be wary of labelling yourself as a questioning coach, and also. I've, I've searched through in, in, in six hours of footage, you asked two questions and both of those questions were these types of questions. Yeah. That might not be the most conducive way to getting the intentions that you had for your coaching to, to come to fruition. And so what uh, I'm hearing is you essentially spend time with you were on pitch, you were videoing and miking, And I guess loads of different ways you could do that. You could actually just GoPro. You could, you know, you, you can actually, maybe just keep a record of, of stuff and you were looking essentially at the actions of coaches. So you were looking at how many questions and maybe he looked at the types of questions you were looking at feedback. Was it corrective? Uh, was it positive? Was it then followed by a stretch? You were looking at hustle. I think you would call it. So actually at, at some st times are we having to G up the, the athletes? I've started saying athletes to G up the players. Um, what are the what what are the things did you look at and why? Well, we looked at. I mean, there's we only, we used one um, systematic observation process, so that's all that counting behaviours is. But that, in lots of ways, has lots of limitations because it just tells us a group of numbers, and there is no right number. So it's not like if they have sixty questions that that's the right number of questions. Yeah. What, what it tells us or what it allows us to do is to show those coaches this is what your practice looks like and to give them a basis to be able to reflect. So if a coach said in their intentions, I think I predominantly facilitate learning by asking questions 
And then in the course of a 60 minute session, they realized that they asked two minutes worth of questions and that that might have stimulated only four minutes worth of question-based thinking amongst the athletes. Then that's not what they're doing. And, and, it, and because it's on video and for some reason, because it's in numbers, it helps to convince the coaches that that's actually what they're doing. Whereas if somebody turns up from the outside and just says, I noticed that you're not doing what you told me you were doing, you probably don't get much buy into that. Yeah. So this is, this is taking, I suppose, what I'm reading about and learning about in terms of how you influence people. So for me to be able to influence their practice, I've got to convince them of the need for their practice to be influenced. Um, and so the video is very useful to do that. And then as we've built trust and, and our relationships have developed, then uh, we've done less of that, although we're going to keep dipping back in and out of it. And now it's typically I'm on the pitch, I've got my notepad, and I'm able to just grab a, a coach and say this is what I've just seen or I think that there might be an opportunity for you to do this here and and I'm able to do that be, because I can see ways I suppose that those things would connect with their beliefs and their values and their intentions for practice and and it's always done with um I suppose the the humility that they're the coach so they they can choose to listen to or ignore what I'm suggesting to them what I'm trying to prompt them to think about and um and the, uh, and then them choosing not to do that which is perfectly fine is then just another opportunity to, for us to reflect further well why didn't you feel capable of doing that at that time or where did your belief in this other thing come from um and then we can explore that so we've from these recognition of things that they then want to change being able to engage in some action research where we've gone out and looked for the evidence that might support us doing things differently and then explore how that evidence works in practice so you've alluded to the satsuma and to the elastic bands those are just ways in which i've then helped those coaches understand more the evidence that exists around a couple of areas of their practice and then provided them with a, it's called a mnemonic device, but you just prefer it to be called a reminder because you don't like big words. Yeah. Um, so it's just a reminder. The elastic band happens to be stretchable. And one of the things that, that Aiden uh, identified in his practice that he wanted to do differently was to not just support the players perhaps that were, um, I suppose, the, the performing in the middle or towards the lower end, but actually really challenge players to keep everybody um, developing and progressing. And so he, he started to look for opportunities when he provided positive feedback to not just provide positive feedback and leave it there, but to say that was a fantastic um, use of an offload. I noticed that you've been offloading predominantly with your right hand. I, I reckon you could get five offloads with your left hand in the next passage of play. Yeah. So to sort of take a, a, a positive and attach something that to that that's going to challenge that player further, as opposed to what traditionally happens in coaching, that's gone wrong. Now I'm going to tell you how to do it differently, or now I'm going to support you to do it differently. Well, what about that's gone right? Perhaps we can take that even further. And it's I think that's helped to shift it. Um, the satsuma was around what's called speech disfluency, so lots of ums and ers and ahs and we were able to explore the literature, which was which was not conclusive, so it didn't definitively say ums and ers and ahs in speech are, are bad things. 
but it did present Jimmy with different evidence about how he might want to consider the way that he presented in uh, pre-match presentations or player briefings or debriefs or review sessions. And he identified that he wanted to make a change. That was his choice. And so the Satsuma was just something he could keep in his pocket. It worked because it was really unconventional. So it surprised him. To, I just presented him with a Satsuma. I said, I want you to hold this whilst you're presenting. And, and it's helped. So he's, and, and we've seen, you know, the evidence for both of those examples. And they're just two examples out of lots and lots of things that we've done differently. Aidan talked about some of the other things that we've done in the, podcast that you did with him down at Wellington but they're just ways of helping people to think differently and then remember to and enact coaching differently and reflect on it afterwards rather than have lots of good intentions but not necessarily then carry them out in practice yeah it would be good ways to make stuff stick for me it might be like I put my watch on the wrong hand or you know that type of thing um we're going to definitely do a second pod I'm mindful of uh we could probably do this all day, but I want. There's a couple more things I wanted to explore. Um, one was so the WhatsApp group Invisible College. Oh yeah. Well, that's just the WhatsApp groups. Uh, no one is busier than the Israelis. Um, however, Invisible College is pretty busy. Uh, do yeah. you want to tell us about it? It's it's come from the same project. So it's, it's come from me reflecting and recognizing that although initially I was able to have quite a big influence on Jimmy and Aiden naturally, and I'm glad, but they've become much more self-sufficient. They don't need as much disruption from, from me as an individual. And you're redundant. Uh, you're redundant. I'm not redundant. No, I'm, just, I'm evolving my practice to support them in different ways. And the, the way that I've done that, and one of the ways that I think that can help them to develop and that they can help others because they're fantastic coaches is to to connect with other coaches from different sports and domains and in ways that would challenge their practice so um i think it's very easy in coaching to be surrounded by lots of people who would endorse your biases you talk about biases quite a bit but the, the way that you see the world already rather than to, to challenge and test that version of reality so the Invisible College brings together some great academic colleagues of mine who are all practitioners. They're all coaches or, or former coaches and athletes. And with a group of coaches from different environments, we've got some football coaches, we've got swimming coach, we've got a strength and conditioner, we've got a video analyst, we've got a cricket coach, we've got uh, just different people, basically, who all broadly live in and around the same area. We meet every... Six and, one, or eight. and one person who lives in Bristol. One bit, well, yeah, who's who's made a pretty poor effort to get to any of the meetings so far. I, know, I, know. I will make it. I will make it. All right. We should. Well, let's do one around the uh, the teacher day in the northeast. That's a good. Yeah, yeah, that's a good plan. Even uh, and we are looking at ways that we could expand it because I think that there's some value in it. So so we might do something with it. But it just brings them together around a topic. So we've covered some some topics that aren't normally in coach education. And it, uh, we've, we've got a better talk about those topics. So, uh, the mask you wear was one, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, pressure management, um, which would, would be part of the micro political uh, climate that, that we alluded to before. The next one's going to be on fun, 
So how do coaches use fun? And uh, what do we mean by fun? And, and, and all of this is, is re remember, it's all focused on being critical and taking perhaps a slightly different perspective on these things than, than is normally, normally held. We had a great presentation by Mark Bertram, who's uh, both a football coach and PhD researcher, a great colleague about practice activity design last week. So we've got coaches from different academies and different sports sharing information about their experiences and practices, but also the research that's been done. And then using that to really challenge and stimulate questions about the way that we coach already. And then the WhatsApp group is really there to st for, for sharing of reflection. So yeah. for people to be able to say, this is how that information's moved me. This is what I've tried as a result of that. Um, these are the things that have gone wrong. We're going to do in a few weeks, uh, sorry, in the next uh, couple of times we do the, the event, we're going to do a Dilemmas Cafe, which is a participatory uh, approach to recognizing that we, we get things wrong. So dilemmas are situations where you've got any choices and options and the resolution of those choices as, as professional coaches is, is not a definitive situation. There's no, never a, a certain option to go with. And so we need to share more of that stuff because we, we talk a lot about the positive things, but we rarely share the things that we failed out or the things that went wrong or times that it didn't quite work out the way we'd intended. The unintended consequences of well-intended actions is a topic that should be more thoroughly explored because there's lots of that going on in, in coaching. So that, that environment, I hope, further stimulates and progresses the connection between the theory and the practice that those coaches have been exposed to as part of their engagement with me over the last so many years. Nice. It's yeah, I, I feel jealous that I don't live in the northeast. Just like said, we're exploring just, ways to make it more open. Just for that. Um mate, look, uh, uh, that's been class. Uh, we definitely need to do some more. I've got a few more things I just want you to say it's one one or two suggestions for each. I don't want, uh, I just want you to, I just want answers. Uh, best books for coaches. Sports Coaching Cultures is a book. It's a, it's a little bit aged now, but it's fantastic because it's got the stories of lots of good coaches. Ian McGeekin's in there. Um, and it's researchers interviewing coaches and then explaining those what those coaches say in research terms. So if you want a good book that helps to connect theory to practice, and I suppose bridges the gap a bit to some of the terminology that's being used and which focuses around the issues that we talked about pedagogy and, and, and sociology. That's a really good starting point. Um, I'm definitely ordering it because it'd be one P on Amazon, but once this pod goes out, the, the supply and demand is going to, is going to kick in. <laughs> Sports coaching culture. What, what else? Give me another book. I would read uh, Irving Goffman's presentation of self. This is a proper theory book, but it's approachable. It's, it's about uh, the interactions that we have. I, I just think it's, it's fascinating and it exposes people. I recommended it whilst I was down at Wellington last year. And, it, and it, um, yeah, you know, I, I know people struggle sometimes with, with the words, but I'm a coach. I started as a coach, as we've talked about, and I've learned to be able to use them. It's no different than you've done a degree in economics, right? 
Uh, yeah, a very long time ago. But so you'll know some words and some things that I don't because I haven't done a degree in economics. It's, yeah, it's just about engaging with with the the knowledge that exists in that discipline. And I think that I would know about the Marshall Learner condition, and you wouldn't be that aware of it. Or you know, Heckscher Olin, or yeah, they would be. I'll be able to, I'll be able to confuse you as well. Uh, yeah. Top uh, top two environments recommended. The Falcons is the best coaching environment, the academy that I've seen. Yeah, it's um, cool, isn't it? And the environment that I'm in at the moment at Northumbria, it's, it's, I'm biased, but I'm very fortunate to have some fantastic colleagues that really challenge me and support me and um, allow me to make mistakes and get things right and give me some good feedback on that as well. It's a very... Um, supportive but challenging place to work as well so favorite movie what's your favorite movie uh yo i watched jurassic park the other day that was a good film it was on in our house i haven't seen it but it was on in the background the original jurassic park is a good good film i just i oh, that's a good question it's okay i'm yeah. taking jurassic park i'm forrest gump so um, if you want a good book you want a good book Read the War Diaries of Lord Alan Brooke. Hey, you are so high, bro. That, that, that is a phenomenal insight into just the, the realities of... You're like, read Stephen Hawkins' books. It's like, no, I haven't read Stephen. I just think this, this guy, you know, there's lots of sort of um, biographies of people who are involved in the war, and this, this guy really gets to the, the heart of things, I think. So I like Sapiens, which I think you would like as well, because that's about... Basically, the evolution of everything. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, top two websites. Top two websites. YouTube. Oh my God, that's a, I think covered there. That, that's a good website, but Google, yeah. I would. Say, <laughs> I would say that. Uh, don't go to YouTube looking for an answer. Go there asking some questions. So yeah. go and look at some ways that people coach and use that as a stimulus to go and design your own practices. Don't just copy and paste. I'll give you that. Uh, two, two best people to follow on Twitter. Can't be yourself. Or Aiden. Can't be you or Aiden. Ah, two people. Ah, there's, a good, there's a good gardening guy. I'm quite into my allotment now. Oh my God. He's a... Uh, he does no dig allotments. He, Charles Dowding, I think his name is. Follow him. Well, um, millions of followers by the end of this. Oh, he's got quite, quite a few. He's got more than me already. Um, who else? I'll big up one of my PhD students. Follow uh, Adam Nickel because I haven't mentioned him so far. Adam Nickel. N-I-C-H-O-L. N-I-C-H-O-L, yeah. He's, um, he's, he's doing fantastic research. He's a great coach as well and a very, very good football referee. So lots of different angles that he's approaching his uh, sport from. Strong. Mate, look, we, uh, we said we'd be 45 minutes. We've been an hour. I think it could be another few hours. I've learned My brain hurts. Um, you haven't even talked about any big words. I know. I know. I, well, they're big words for me, mate. They're just not big words for you. We need to get into coaching philosophy, then we'll talk about some big words. Cool, mate. We'll do another one. We'll do another one in a few weeks. Okay. Maybe when we're up in uh, on the teacher day, we'll do one then. Brilliant. Legend, mate. Appreciate it. Uh, have a great, 
great weekend. Yeah, you too. All the best, mate. Cheers, pal. Bye.